Well, good morning, everybody. Are you ready for Daniel 10 and 11? If you were paying attention, you'll notice that chapter 11 was read before chapter 10, and there was a reason for that. You also notice it's 66 verses. I took my watch off so that you don't have to worry about time. We might be here for a little while this morning. I, um, I'm gonna, you're going to need every ounce of focus and concentration and strength this morning. Uh, I'm going to try and make something very big a lot simpler. So uh, let's pray as, uh, as we start together this morning. Father, thank you for the time that we've already had, just enjoying being in each other's company, uh, singing your praise, hearing from, from people like Sarah going out into the mission field in, in Curtin Uni, uh, praying to you and uh, hearing your word read. We pray now that you would speak. And I pray that you'd help me and help us to hear, to listen, uh, that, that what seems to be almost unfathomable will be made simple and we would get a glimpse again of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Right, so there's a title for you, War Games. War Games, Daniel 10 and 11. As I said, it's a big passage. It's 66 verses. Now the vision actually runs, if you've got your Bible open, have a look at chapter 10. It actually runs from chapter 10 through to chapter 12. It's one vision. And I have no ways I could handle the whole thing in one go. So this morning you're getting uh, part A, if you like, uh, which, is, which is Daniel 10 and 11. And next week I'll finish the book in chapter 12. Now we need to get an orientation. And I'm going to uh, give you some pictures that help you see exactly where we are and it'll start to make sense. So the orientation of the vision. Where are we? Now have a look at chapter 10 verse 1 where Daniel gives us an important location marker when he says it is the third year of Cyrus of Persia. So that the vision starts in 536 BC, which means that Daniel's getting this vision three years after the Jews have gone home. So in 539, Cyrus says the Jews can go home. It's now 536. The Jews have gone back to Jerusalem. They've been there for around three years. Many of the waves, around 42,000 went back to Jerusalem. That's the first orientation, to see where you are. Here's the second one. In chapter 10, verse 20, it says this, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. So what we've got right, in, in chapter 11, is what life is going to be like under the Persians and under the Greeks. So as they've gone home, it's now 536, chapter 11 sort of spells out what life is going to be like under the Persians first and then under the Greeks. And this has been the pattern from Daniel chapter 7, hasn't it? After the Jews have gone back to Jerusalem, they're not going back under a Davidic king, 
But they're first going to live where? Under the Persians, and then they're going to live under the Greeks. Now, I want you to keep looking at the picture because here is the point. The point is that the Jews going back to Jerusalem, they're not going from exile home. They're going from exile to exile. That's the point. They're not going from exile home. They're going from exile to exile. Why? Because when they go home and when they're home in 536, they are not under a Davidic king, are they? What kind of king are they under? First, they'll be under Persian kings, and then they will be under Greek kings. In other words, listen carefully, the promised land of Jerusalem was not home. Heaven is home. It's not earth. Does that make sense? Now here's the orientation as we bring it into today and where we are. As we live in exile, waiting for Jesus to come, we're waiting to go home. We're waiting for Jesus to come and take us to a place that He has prepared for us. So have a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Look how Peter addresses Christians today. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, what's the next word? Exiles. Exiles scattered throughout the whole land of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It could be written like this. To God's people wherever they are throughout the world. And so the point that is being made over and over and over in Daniel 7 right through to 12 is this one. Life for God's people in, ex in exile in Israel, 536 going forward, will be the same for God's people living today. Does that make sense? Life then will be like life now. Now, my brothers and sisters, to have an Australian citizenship is a prized possession, isn't it? Is there an amen out there? No. Hundreds, if not thousands of people have died on boats trying to get into this country. For many, just being a mere asylum seeker or being a refugee in this country is better than being a citizen in another country. But have a look at what Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 20. But our citizenship is where? Is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say to us, brothers and sisters, no matter how good life is in Australia for us, this is not our, this is not our home. We are foreigners here. We are aliens here. We are strangers here. And we're waiting for Jesus to come back and take us to a place that He has prepared for us. Here's how Peter put it. He said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept where? Kept in heaven for you. So right at the start, as I orientate you in Daniel, I want to ask you, are you a Christian exile waiting to go home? Amen? I hope so. 
Do you know, Christian, that this is not your home? In that song that we sang, Coming on the Clouds, do you cry out with the prophets? Do you cry out with the Spirit? Do you cry out with the Bride of Christ? Come, Lord Jesus, From the orientation, we go to the double of the vision. The double. What do I mean? There are actually two visions in chapters 10 and 11. There are two. Right, let me show you the first one. In Daniel 10, 1 to 3, it's the third year of Cyrus, 536 BC, a revelation given to Daniel. Its message was true and it concerned a great what? War. So what's that referring to? That's the vision where? In chapter? In chapter 11. Okay, so he gets this vision, right, of a great war, and that's outlined in chapter 11, which we will come to. At that time, after seeing this vision of chapter 11, which is the war, he mourns for three weeks. He goes fasting, no food, no meat, no wine touches his lips, no lotions. And, 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 and he lay and sort of like an exhausted, useless man for about three weeks. This is Daniel's terrifying response to the vision in chapter 11. But if you've got your Bible, look at chapter 10 from verses 4 to 21. He gets another vision. And it's a vision that doesn't terrify him. It's a vision that comforts him. So let me, have a, let me show you the comfort. In chapter 10, verse 19, when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So do you see that? Okay. So he gets a vision that terrifies him and he gets a vision that comforts him. And those are both that we're going to have a look at this morning. So let's go to our third aspect, the terror of the vision in chapter 11. Now, I hope you didn't fall asleep. hope you didn't nod off that, that in chapter 11, there are 45 verses of historical drama that take place after 536, while Israel is back in the land, under the life of Persia, under the life of Greece, there are 45 verses of historical drama. It's a vision, and it absolutely terrifies Daniel. And I want to show you six things that he sees. And they'll all start to make sense. Okay? So there are six things in 536 that he sees in the life under Persia and Greece. Here's the first one. The first thing that he sees is he sees more Persian kings. Look at verse 2. Then I tell you the truth, three more kings will arise in Persia and then a fourth will be far richer than the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he'll stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. So Cyrus is a Persian king. How many more Persian kings does he see? Four, right? He sees four. God just keeps reminding God's people then and today that while we're living in exile, what's going to keep coming? More pagan kings. Non-Christian kings and kingdoms are always going 
to rule. That's the point. There's no such thing as an earthly kingdom of Christ. There is no such thing as heaven on earth. God's people are not living in God's place. And because we don't live in God's place, there are always going to be pagan rulers who are going to come and go and going to rule over, over the world and over God's people. Does that make sense? Here's the second thing that he sees. After seeing more Persian kings, he sees a mighty Greek king. Look at verse 3. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. If you look back in history, because we can look back, it is probably the Greek king Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great at one time destroyed the Persian Empire and took over. You see the point? When the Jews are back in the land from 536 onwards, they're going to be ruled by Cyrus, then four more Persian kings, and then who's coming after the four Persian kings? A Greek king. And in fact, this particular Greek king is going to be a ruthless dictator. You see that the vision is not getting better, it's actually getting worse. Here's the third thing that he sees. He sees more Persian kings. He sees a mighty Greek king, which is probably Alexander. And then he sees more Greek kings. Have a look at verse 4. After he has arisen, probably Alexander, his empire is going to be broken up and passed out to the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. After King Alexander took over, he died at the tender age of 26 in 323 BC. And when that happened, the Greek empire didn't go to one person. It was actually split up into four regions. And there were four different kings, four different rulers, if you like, four different generals who took over. You see the pattern? After Cyrus comes four more. Persian kings, after four Persian kings comes a mighty Greek king, and after a mighty Greek king comes more Greek kings after him. It's same old, same old. This is a little bit like Groundhog Day. Do you see the point? It is pagan beast after pagan beast after pagan beast. They're just going to keep coming, aren't they? Why? Because God's people are not living in God's place. Because heaven is our, our home. So in Daniel's day, it was Persian beasts followed by Persian beasts, followed by Greek beasts, followed by Greek beasts, and so it went on. In our day, it will be any number of pagan beasts that will come and go and come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go, until when? Until Jesus comes and takes us where? Takes us home. Right? Is that clear? Right. Here's the fourth thing that he sees. And here's the heartbeat. Okay, here's the heartbeat of this vision which terrifies Daniel. He sees Greek civil wars. Now, I hope you're going to have an absolute bing epiphany here because from verses 5 to 45 in Daniel 11 is not talking about stuff in our future. It's talking about the Greek civil wars that took place in the Greek kingdom when the four generals were all having a big fight with one another. The passage describes the Greek kings as kings of the north or kings of the south, and they all fought each other for around about 250 years because they wanted control. 
over the Greek kingdom. They wanted to be like Alexander, so they fought each other and fought each other and killed each other so they could have dominion, they could have control, and unfortunately, poor old little Israel is where? In the middle, in the crosshairs, so to speak. They seized these Greek civil wars that took place somewhere around about 323 to around about 160 BC. Let me put out a couple of features that he sees. Firstly, he sees strong, stronger. In other words, look at verse 5. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will become even, even stronger. So in these Greek civil wars, as these kings fight against each other, one will be stronger than another, and the stronger one will come and hit the less strong, and there's all this sort of strong, stronger stuff going on, right? One takes over from, from another. Here's the second thing that he sees. He sees alliances. These kings of the north and south, remember there's a number of them, uh, they, 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 sometimes they, they start to make alliances. After some years, they'll become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make alliances. And if you've got your Bible, you can look that in verse 17 as well. Here's a third thing that he sees. In these civil wars, he sees pride, violence, deceit, lying, and idolatry. Let me give you a couple of verses. Look at verse 12. When the army is carried off, the king of the south will be filled with pride. He will slaughter many thousands. There's the pride. Look at verse 27. The two kings with their hearts bent on evil will sit at the same table and lie to each other. So in the midst of all these alliances, there will also be deceit and betrayal and stuff going on. This king will stab this one and this one will backstab here and all this stuff going on. Verse 36. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. Uh, These kings, they'll set themselves up as gods. They will set themselves up as demigods, as if they're just in charge and rule the whole world for their own liking. And as Daniel continues to see this civil war, places like Israel, Egypt, Libya, Ethiopia are going to get caught in the crosshairs. Have a look at verse 42, 43. Talking of another king, he will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and the Cushites, which is Ethiopia, are in submission. Right. All that to say this. What Daniel sees in the civil wars of the Greeks, is he is seeing a terrible vision being played out on the world stage. And it will happen after he's dead. And as he sees these civil wars going on, he knows that Israel is in the very middle. They're in the crosshairs. They're going to be caught up in all the treachery, the violence, the bloodshed, the deceit, the lying, and so on. What Daniel is seeing is human atrocities played out on the canvas of human history in the years ahead. And these are the very same type of human atrocities that we see and will see played out on the canvas of world history. Let me give you some examples. What Daniel is seeing 
is what we see as the terror portrayed in historical movies like Saving Private Ryan, Dunkirk, 1917, Platoon, Apocalypse Now. They are films and pictures of the wars that took thousands, even millions of lives. We are seeing the genocides. We've seen the genocides, haven't we? of Rwanda and Bosnia. We've seen Pearl Harbor. We've seen the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. We've seen the violence of the Gulf War. We sit and watch the missiles going from Palestine into Israel and from Israel into Palestine. We see the missiles going from Russia into schools and hospitals and civilian flats and homes in the Ukraine. What Daniel saw, as we see, is we keep seeing human depravity displayed on the canvas of world history. Why? Because the human heart always has a lust for power, control, dominance, and wealth that will be played out in world history. I looked this up, that according to the council on Foreign Relations Global Conflict Tracker. There are currently at least 27 worldwide wars right now. There are 27 wars going on in the world right now. 27. But Daniel 11 is also played out in the religious wars that we have seen. I read a book this week on the brutality of the religious wars, like the horrific crusades of the 11th century, where thousands upon thousands of Muslims were slaughtered in the name of Christianity. Wasn't it amazing that the religious leaders in Jesus' day, in order to hold on to their power and their control and their greed and their dominance, they utterly destroyed the human life of Jesus Christ. But you see, we live in a world today where humanity doesn't just kill itself with tanks and bombs and guns. We live in a world where we destroy each other with our tongues, inflicting unthinkable, lasting damage that is often incurable. But Daniel 11 can also be played out in churches. Have a look at this in Daniel in, Daniel, in James chapter 4. Here's James writing to the church. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You see, what Daniel saw, which terrified him, what we are seeing is the sinful human heart at its despicable best. And you know where it all comes from, don't you? You remember the words of Jesus, don't you? It's what comes out of a person that defiles them, for it's from within, out of a human's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. You see, what you've got to understand, brothers and sisters, is that the human heart is a sword. The human heart is a bomb. The human heart is a weapon of mass 
destruction capable of explosive, deadly power. Let me give you a fifth thing that Daniel sees. He sees Persian kings, then a mighty Greek one, then more Greek kings, and he has a look at the civil wars going on. And then he sees the folly of fighting, the folly of fighting. So look at verse 14 with me. In those times, talking in the Greek civil wars, many will arise against the king of the south. Those who are violent among your own people will rebel in fulfillment of the vision, but without success. So here's what happened. During, sometime during these Greek wars, particularly around about 160, 165 B.C., zealous Jews got involved in the civil wars. They started fighting on one side. Either they took side with the king of the north or the king of the south, and they got in there, and they tried to take sides. But these zealous Jews, what they were trying to do was they were trying to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And God says to them, they'll get involved, they will fight, but they won't succeed. Why? Because you cannot fight human power with human power. Do you understand that? If you try and fight human power with human power, all that you get at the end is the destruction of human beings. It doesn't mean there isn't a place for the Christian voice in parliament or government if it allows. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up against the atrocities that we see. But it is utter folly to fight fire with fire. It is folly to fight political power with political power. It doesn't work. It doesn't last. And political power will not give human beings a new heart. You remember the words of Jesus, don't you, in John 18.36. He said to Pilate just before his crucifixion, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. We, we do have weapons, you know that, don't we? You do, we do have weapons. They're just not political, and they're not human. Here's how Paul put it. He said, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You do know what our weapons are, don't you? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sheath of the Spirit, which is prayer, the handle of the Spirit, which is a godly life. Because human hearts are not changed by external force or manipulation or external political pressure. The human heart is only changed by a gospel of love in the power of the Holy Spirit. You realize that when Jesus came, he didn't come as a political activist. He didn't join a political party. He didn't try to overthrow the Roman beast. He rather came to die for sinners that destroy each other. And let us never forget that the greatest injustice that Christ submitted himself to was his own death in order to save us from ourselves, us from one another, and us from the wrath of God. There's a sixth thing that he sees. He sees the persecution. 
So if you look at your Bible, chapter 11, and you have a look at verse 31, his armed forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress. He will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Now, if you've been here over the last few weeks, we've seen this over and over. I've explained that to you very basically in just a brief comment. As Daniel looks into the civil wars, what he sees that at a particular time, there's going to be a Greek king, it's probably Antiochus Epiphanes, that is going to unleash a violent persecution against the people of God to the point where he destroyed the Holy of Holies and he put a pig on the altar so that daily sacrifice could not take place. Thousands of God-fearing people were slaughtered by Antiochus Epiphanes because they would not bow down and worship him. Same, same. Same, same. Paul said to Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be what? Will be persecuted. How about these words in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29? For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to what? Suffer for him. Do you understand now why Daniel is terrified? Can you see it? He sees the terror of this vision. Let me just see if I've got those six again. Yep. As, as, as Daniel sees more Persian kings, a mighty Greek king, more Greek kings, the Greek civil wars, the folly of fighting, and the persecution that's unleashed on God's people in that time period, it absolutely flattens him. He is exhausted, he is terrified, he's afraid, he, he can't eat, he can't drink, he can't sleep, he just, and he, he lies like a dead man for, for three weeks. As we see human depravity displayed on the history, on the canvas of human history, that's the way it should, we should feel. Doesn't it disgust you? Don't you feel ill? Does that make you sick? That what human beings can do to one another? Doesn't it make you feel sick what you can do to someone else? Does it make you sick that you've got a tongue that's like a viper that can destroy and kill? Doesn't the human heart leave you feeling disgusted and ill? It should. It should. If that was the end of the vision, that would be a very depressing story, wouldn't it? So let's go to the comfort of the vision. And I remember what I said, there are two visions. Not one, two. He's terrified by the one, but he's comforted by the other. Let me just show you the comfort again, and I'll pull back around it. Look at the comfort. He says again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. He said, peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he sees the second vision, the terror moves to comfort. And I hope that might be for you and I this morning as well. So let's have a look at it. Okay? As he sees the second vision, he sees three things. One, he sees the sovereign Lord with his people. Now stay with me, because this is going to uh, get deep here. Look at verse 5 and 6 of the second vision. I looked up. Here's the second vision. I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, 
with a belt of fine gold from upas around his waist. His body was like topaz, or some translations crystallite. His face was like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of the multitude. Let me stop there. Who do you think that is? Who do you think that is? This is a vision of the resurrected Christ. It is a future vision of the resurrected Christ in ap- I was going to say apostolic, in apocalyptic language. It's a vision of Christ in, in apocalyptic pictures. Now let me show it to you because the same vision is completed in Revelation chapter 1 by John. It's completed by John. Have a look. I turned around in Revelation 1 to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair on his head was like was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze burning in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Now here's what you've got to see. Daniel and Revelation Daniel and John see the same vision. Revelation completes the Daniel one. But they are both seeing a picture of the resurrected Christ in visions, pictures, apocalyptic language. Does that make sense? Now, if you were, and I'll give you a clue, let me go back here a little bit. If I had to ask you, Where is the risen Christ in the vision? And I'm going to focus on the Revelation one. Where's Christ? Where is he? I'll give you a clue. It's right at the beginning of verse 13. Among the what? Who's the lampstands? The lampstands is the church. The lampstands are the people of God. Whether it's Old Testament church or New Testament church, it's the people of God. So when Daniel sees this terrifying vision of the wars in Daniel 11, where is the risen Christ? He's with his people. When John sees in Revelation all the things that are going to happen to the people of God, where is the risen Christ? With his people. In the midst of all the fiery events of world history and persecution, where is Jesus? With his people. Isn't that what the Old Testament said over and over again? Though I walk through the darkest valley, although I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 73, 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. The comforting words of Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You see, my brothers and sisters, 
Because Christ is with us. Do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, peace. Be strong now. Be strong. Do you understand, my brother and sister, that if you are in Christ, because of His grace, because of the Father's grace to you in Christ, do you know that you are highly esteemed by the Father? Do you know how precious you are to Him? Do you know how valued you are to Him? Do you know how much He loves you? Brothers and sisters, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what we've seen. Don't be afraid of what is coming. Because the sovereign Lord, the risen Christ, is with His people. He lives in His church. He lives inside His people. Here's the second comfort. Daniel sees the sovereign Lord reigning. He sees the sovereign Lord reigning. Now remember, I'm going to focus on the Revelation passage because it completes the Daniel one. So let's back to 13 of Revelation. And among the lamb stands, there was one like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, a golden sash around the chest. The hair on his head was, like, was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were blazing like blazing fire. His feet like bronze burning or glowing in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of the rushing waters. Jesus dressed in a robe with a sash around his chest is a picture of Jesus, the great high priest, who has purchased his people with his blood. His hair as, as white like wool is a picture of Daniel 7, a picture of reference, reference to the Father. Eyes like blazing fire and feet like burning bronze is a picture of the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ by his resurrection from the dead. Do you remember what Jesus said after his resurrection in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And the risen Christ has gone back to the Father's side, has taken his seat on the Davidic throne in heaven, and he rules and he reigns. So my brother and sister, don't be afraid. Peace. Be strong now. Why? Because our sovereign Lord is ruling on David's throne in heaven. He reigns over all the terror. He rules over the wars. He rules over the persecution. He rules over the sickness. He rules over suffering. He rules over life. He rules over death. He rules over sin. He rules over the beasts. Jesus Christ conquered the greatest beast, Satan himself at the cross. Satan now has a fatal wound. And Jesus Christ reigns on the throne of David from the heavenly place. He sees it all. He always has. He always will. He controls it all. Always has. Always will. And he's bringing everything under his rule. Everything under his reign. And one day every eye will see it. One day every tongue will confess it. And one day every knee will bow to it. 
My brother and sister, do not be afraid. I am with you. And I rule on the throne of heaven. But there's a third. Daniel sees in the vision that the sovereign Lord will destroy all kingdoms. I wonder if you picked up in the reading of chapter 11 how many times it says this. This king is replaced by that king. This one comes and then it goes. This one is succeeded by that one. And Did you pick that up? Let me give you a sort of quick, uh, just a quick idea. 11.4. After he has appeared, his kingdom will be broken up. So he'll be out, the next one in. The king of the south is defeated by the king of the north. His successor, 11.21, he will be succeeded by 11.45, yet he will come to his end and no one will help. You realize, don't you, that the kingly, the, the beastly kingdoms of this world will come and they will go and they will all be destroyed, either in this world or in the next. And I never want you to forget this. Every single king, from Nebuchadnezzar, to Cyrus, to Alexander, to Antichrist Epiphanes, to Hitler, to Stalin, to Pol Pot, to Idi Amin, Chairman Mao, Robert Mugabe, Vladimir Putin, and every single one in between, they will be raised from the dead and they will stand before the judgment throne of Christ. Let me put it to you this way. Every king in this world will stand before the king of kings. Every king will stand and they will acknowledge and they will bow before the king of kings. And they will be judged. So let me show you the final apocalyptic picture where Revelation ends. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. This is what happens when Jesus comes again. And I saw the dead, the great and the small. They were standing before the throne and the, the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. All the ungodly, all the wicked, all the idolaters, all the antichrists, all the beasts, all those that do not have a new heart, all those that have not called on the name of the Lord to be saved will be sentenced and judged and sent to hell. Please, please don't ever think that Jesus Christ will be mocked forever. He will not be mocked forever. Justice will prevail. Jesus will save his people. And he will take us home. 
So my brothers and sisters, don't be afraid. Peace to you from Christ. Be strong. Be strong now. Because the Lord our God is with us. The Lord our God reigns. The Lord our God will destroy every beastly kingdom. So perhaps I can finish with these words. They're famous words, aren't they? Of comfort from Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Would you make these words yours personally from your Lord to you this morning? Do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, peace, be strong now, be strong. And may it be that we together with Daniel will say, when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. Oh, speak my Lord, since you have given me strength. You know what's going to happen one day, my brothers and sisters? We're going to behold our God. Oh, we're going to behold our God. And every person will behold our God. 